Thank you for downloading this sermon from Grace Presbyterian Church. Grace is a church where people seeking more grace, more depth, and more community can start finding their way and sharing their gifts with the world. You can follow us online at graceforsufalls.org. For God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained for me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites! Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, Explain the parable to us. And he said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Fathers, we stand before you having been guilty of so many of the things that Christ here condemns. We pray that you might not only have mercy upon us, but might open our eyes so that we might hear the truth of your word and hearing it might heed it. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. At the beginning of Matthew 15, as you've just heard, we're presented with a similar kind of situation to what we had at the beginning of Matthew 14. Remember, Matthew 14 began with a contrast between two kinds of authority. There was the earthly king versus the divine king. And now, chapter 15 also provides a contrast between two authorities. But in this case, the authority is ecclesiastical. It's religious. It has to do with the church, with belief. If the question of the last chapter was, what king will you serve? The question of this chapter is, what religious authority will you follow? The scribes and Pharisees mentioned here are not the ones who've been following Jesus around that we've already seen. This is a special delegation, we're told. It's been sent from Jerusalem. They represent human tradition. They confront Jesus, because he's not following their authority. They challenge him. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? But Jesus represents a different authority than theirs. He represents the authority of God's command. He doesn't defend himself against their charge. Instead, he levels a charge of his own. He confronts the Pharisees and scribes because they're not following 
God's authority. He asked, why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? So battle lines between man's authority and God's authority. And the disciples, interestingly, seem to be caught in the middle here. Because they're followers of Jesus. They want to do what Jesus says. But they're a little bit worried that what he's saying is alienating the Pharisees because they're religious authorities and the disciples are still a little bit in awe of them. They ask, do you know that the Pharisees were offended by what you taught? They don't understand, standing between these two authorities, just how high the stakes really are. But Jesus makes it clear The Pharisees may claim to serve the true God, but according to the prophecy from Isaiah, they worship him in vain. You can't just assume that everyone who speaks the name of God, everyone who worships him, truly worships him. Because Isaiah says they worship him in vain. Their lips are close to him, but their hearts are far away. Not only that, in their blindness, these Pharisees are undermining the authority of God's commands. They're leading other people to do the same thing. Jesus says they're blind guides. They may be an authority, but they're leading you in the wrong direction. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Their traditions don't supplement what God has said. As we see here, they twist and distort as well. They're teaching people that what defiles them is what goes into them when the reality is exactly the opposite. It's what comes out of us that defiles us. And that proceeds from a fallen heart. That's the real problem that the teaching of the Pharisees obscures. Like the disciples, we can't have it both ways. There is no way to somehow serve both the authority of men and the command of God. You can't split the difference. You're going to have to choose which religious authority you're going to follow. The traditions of men or the commands of God. Let's think about this conflict a little bit. What the traditions are that are actually being discussed. So, the tradition of the elders that the Pharisees are talking about has to do with uh, ritual washing. So any moms who got nervous when it seemed that Jesus was saying you don't have to wash your hands before you eat, this kind of washing is not primarily a hygienic concern. It's a, a ritual concern. It has to do not with germs, but with being clean or unclean in the eyes of God. Now, it's often said that what the Pharisees try to do is they take the law of God and in order to protect it, they create a a fence of man's law around it so that if you observe the law of men, you won't even come close to violating the law of God. And we can understand the logic of that, the use of tradition in that way. Right? Tradition isn't on the same level as the law of God, but if you keep the tradition of the elders, then you can't even come close to violating the law of God. And that's the way we understand what they're doing. 
But this understanding gets two things wrong. First of all, the tradition was not seen as subordinate to God's commands. That idea of offense around the law, the way that that came about, that's actually not someone interpreting what the Pharisees did. It's from the opening lines of the Mishnah. It says what happened was when Moses went up onto the mountain and got the law from God, the commands on the tablet, there was also a verbal command to Moses I'm giving you these things, and what I want you to do is tell people that they also need to add on to them, that they need to propagate a tradition to go along with these things. These verbal instructions, therefore, are not some kind of subordinate authority. They're part of the commands of God. Like, I'm giving you this law, but then I want you to kind of build on top of it. So these traditions had the force of divine law. Practically speaking, they're on the same level. We might call them the tradition of the elders, but we treat them as if they're every bit as important as the clear commands of God. The second thing we get wrong is keeping the traditions would not preserve you from violating the law of God because those traditions were sometimes in conflict with the law. Because the tradition took upon itself the right to interpret the law authoritatively. And as we see in the example that Jesus gives of the fifth commandment, the tradition of the elders actually gives you a way of getting around the command of God. Essentially, a workaround that effectively repeals God's command to honor father and mother. So the regime that Jesus is challenging here, the thing that he is opposing is a human authority which has taken upon itself the power to interpret the commands of God for the people, to add to those commands, and even in some cases to teach contrary to them. It's not just a tradition, it's to to use a term, it's a magisterium. Uh, We'll talk more about this, but basically an authoritative interpretation is what this tradition is. that effectively puts its own teachings on the same level as God's Word. In this case, the tradition has taken laws for ritual cleansing that were given to the priests in the temple and has expanded them to apply to everyone. Now, part of what Jesus has come to do as, as our priest is to fulfill all of those ceremonial requirements once and for all. So it shouldn't be a surprise to us to see Jesus not keeping these human add-ons, not living according to them, because he's actually come to fulfill and set aside the commands that they're based on. So the way Jesus is acting here actually makes a lot of sense. But still, you may ask yourself, what's the problem with washing your hands? Like, isn't it good to wash your hands? As we've learned over the last few years, none of us were doing it right. And all of us could stand to wash them more and longer when we're washing them. So what's the problem here? Maybe we should wash our hands and do the other stuff as well. There's no harm in following a tradition like this. Surely, why don't the disciples do it? But in this case, Jesus shows that not only... Does this practice come from a bad source? But it teaches 
a bad theology. That if you live according to their understanding of the ritual and its purpose, it will mislead you. More about that in a minute. But first, let's take the other side of the case because Jesus accuses this magisterium of violating an actual command of God, the fifth commandment, to honor father and mother. Now, the tradition of the elders had come up with a way to kind of work around that requirement, and it drips with irony. God commands you to honor father and mother, to honor the authority of parents. But if you want to escape that God-ordained authority, according to tradition, if you want to escape that obligation to honor them, then what you have to do is take your possessions that might otherwise be spent on maintaining them in their old age and dedicate those things to God. That may sound bad, like out of the frying pan into the fire. You're not going to use your things to support your parents. You're going to have to give them to God. But actually, this kind of dedication to God is just symbolic. When you dedicate them to God, you still get to use them as you see fit. So it's a win-win. That's the way the tradition works. The authority of the scribes, which God did not ordain, gets you out from under the authority of father and mother, which God did ordain, by claiming to put your goods under the authority of God himself while maintaining your authority to do with them what you please. It is ingenious and it is reprehensible. It's bitterly hypocritical. It not only undermines a God-ordained authority, but it also tears down the authority of God's Word itself while claiming to uphold it. That's the tension between rituals that have been extended and applied to people and clear commands of God that those rituals seem to obfuscate. It's a conflict But we need to be precise about the nature of the conflict. And that's why I used that word earlier, magisterium, to describe the tradition. Because tradition, in and of itself, is not the villain here. Jesus is not saying, I don't like tradition. And I think all tradition should be abolished. We actually see Jesus upholding certain traditions paying respect to certain traditions. Interestingly, Jesus does not refuse to enter a synagogue on the basis that God never commanded synagogues and that it's a tradition of men that arose during the period of exile and then was brought back to Israel. Instead, Jesus teaches in synagogues. It's an innovation. And yet Jesus respects it. And he enters into it. He recognizes a principle that in the Westminster Confession in chapter 1, section 6, is later later, uh, described this way, that there are some circumstances concerning the worship of God and government of the church common to human actions and societies, which are to be ordered by the light of nature and Christian prudence according to the general rules of the word, which are always to be observed. In other words, the Bible doesn't spell out everything. If you only follow the commands, you won't have guidance for everything. That's why God gave us wisdom. That's why he gave us the ability to discern. And if we use that God-given wisdom, guided by the principles of the Spirit, to solve problems the Bible doesn't speak to, and then we tell our children 
what we did and pass it down and then they pass it down. That's a tradition, but not necessarily a bad one. The problem with this magisterium thing is not that it's a tradition. The problem is what's wrong with the tradition. The problem is that it's a teaching authority that places itself on a level with the Word of God. Where the Westminster divines say that Scripture is the supreme judge, this teaching authority says that it is the authoritative judge of Scripture. You can't read the Bible and see what God is saying. We'll tell you what God is saying. You must trust our authority. That's the nature of the conflict between God's commands and the commands of men. To use Isaiah's phrase, this magisterium teaches the commandments of men as if they were divine doctrine. That's the problem. You might think of it as a conflict, really, between clean hands and clean hearts. As I say, there's nothing wrong with having clean hands. There's nothing wrong. In fact, I, I want to state that more fully. It's good to have clean hands. It's good. There's nothing wrong with clean hands. Nothing unless you start thinking that having clean hands is going to save you. That's the problem. Defilement, as Jesus talks about it here, is not just being unhygienic. Defilement is being spiritually unclean. If we come to believe, if we've been taught, that by observing these traditions we can keep ourselves clean, that if we observe these traditions, then we will keep ourselves in God's favor, we're being led astray. If we're told, if you're worried about your standing before God, then just keep these traditions and you will not be defiled. You can keep the traditions all you want, but they will not solve the problem of uncleanness. Just as you can go to an alternative physician who still practices medieval medicine and have yourself bled to balance your humors, Whatever's wrong with you, that's not going to solve it. Because what's wrong with you won't be solved by that essentially superstitious ritual observance. Right? You can go through the motions, but your disease will take its course. Because that does nothing to address the actual problem. And that's the same thing that these people are facing here. They can clean their hands all they want. They can observe all the traditions of the elders, but when it comes to actual uncleanness, that will not help them at all. This human authority is leading people to put their trust in a remedy that won't save them. Essentially, it's killing them. But why does human authority do this? It seems to be a pattern, really. Whenever we take the authority upon ourselves, whenever we devise the rules for how people ought to live, it always seems to go contrary to what God has commanded. I think there's a reason for that. Because authority tends to define the problem in terms of things that it can fix. If I'm the authority and you ask me, what is the problem? then I'm going to tell you the problem is something that I 
can do something about. Otherwise, I'd just be admitting my own powerlessness. The fact that I really shouldn't have any authority. This is the reason why legislators always act as if the solution to every problem is more legislation. Because that's the problem they can fix. This is the reason why teachers always act as if the solution to every problem is more education. Because that's the problem they can fix. This is why pastors always act as if the solution to every problem is more church attendance. Because that's the thing they feel like they have control over. But all of these things and everything like that is just another way of cleaning your hands. But what if having clean hands isn't enough? What if you could only be saved by having a clean heart? Jesus says it's ridiculous to think that you are defiled by what goes into your mouth. It's just the opposite, he says. You're defiled by what comes out of your mouth. What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, he says, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. So Jesus puts his finger on the actual problem. Now, note this. When Jesus gives his list of evil thoughts, when he breaks down these various sins, what he's doing there is basically covering everything in the second table of the Ten Commandments, with some exceptions. He doesn't touch on covetousness, which is kind of the catch-all for the motivation for sin. He doesn't touch on the Fifth Commandment. That's already been mentioned when he confronted the Pharisees, but he touches on everything else and he actually doubles up on a couple on sexual sin, adultery and sexual immorality, and on bearing false witness, false witness and slander, giving emphasis to those things, which is interesting because Paul also does this, gives extra emphasis to these things. So don't think that you can say something like Jesus doesn't care about sexual defilement, only Paul does, and separate them. Here you have an example of Jesus caring about the same things that Paul does and seeing these things as sin, as uncleanness, and seeing all of them as sin because they proceed from an unclean heart. They come from a sinful heart. The heart is the source of disobedience, and that's what truly defiles us. The traditions of the elders, their teaching authority cannot clean your heart. They have a heart problem of their own. Isaiah says their heart is far from me. They can create all of the rituals and all the traditions they want, but as long as their hearts are alienated from God, those things can be of no avail. Only Jesus can cleanse your heart. And because he has the power to give you a clean heart, he's not so worried about clean hands. In other words, the appearance of cleanliness is not what Jesus offers. 
Instead, he gives the reality of cleanliness, and the reality is the only thing that matters, because you don't have to wash what isn't dirty. Jesus makes us clean, and if Jesus makes you clean, you're clean indeed. As you think about this conflict, there's another tension in this, not just between human tradition and God's commands, not just between clean hands and clean hearts, but there's a tension between vain worship and true worship. The reason people observe these rituals is piety. The reason they do what they're doing is religious service. They do it in order to worship God, but that worship is in vain. Now, it's interesting, at the beginning of our text, we see Jesus speaking to the Pharisees and scribes, and then eventually we'll see him addressing the disciples, but briefly in between those two things, he turns and he speaks to the people as a whole, and he gives the people a warning about following these bad authorities. He's warning them about their misplaced trust. He's warning them not to follow these men in vain worship. By implication, he's calling them to true authority. What he says to them, he says to us. What they need to know, we need to know as well. You cannot trust in blind guides. There's so many different authorities who want your ear. So many different rituals, so many different ways of getting your hands clean, so many promises that all you have to do is this, that all you must worry about is this. But these are, as Jesus says, blind guides. If you're putting God's Word under human authority, under any human authority, no matter how well-intentioned, if you're letting God's Word be neutralized by these supplemental teachings, neutered, turned inside out, you're being led into the pits in Jesus' words. You can't just trust anyone who comes to you in the name of the Lord. You cannot just follow any regime or plan or command that claims to be grounded in God's authority. These men claimed to be serving the true God. And in the eyes of the disciples, it wasn't easy to see that they were wrong. These were the guys who controlled the temple. These were the guys who taught. These were the guys who seemed to be listened to. Yet Jesus says, you can't trust them. And He also says this, you cannot trust in your own hearts. If human authorities are going to mislead you, your wicked heart, the source of uncleanness, is going to mislead you as well. Your heart is always going to shift the blame. It's always going to tell you that your desires are not what defile you. That what you want is not the problem. Other people and what they want, that's the problem. And all you need to worry is about keeping your hands clean. But no, Jesus says, you must live by God's command, not human authority. You can't do both. 
live by God's command, not human authority. There is a place for tradition. There's a place for human wisdom handed down. But it has to be subordinate to God's Word. God's Word must be the supreme judge. Never put tradition on par with Scripture or tradition will take over. It will put itself in charge. The words, as I read the prophecy of Isaiah, that I find most chilling, the warning that I want to take seriously, is when he writes, in vain do they worship me. There's a way of reading that, that the pronoun is obscured. In vain do they worship me. In vain do they worship me. But as I reflect on it, the way I hear it is, in vain do they worship me. That's the thing. It's so easy. When you're wanting to look at where the problem is, is just locate it wherever they do not worship Him. They worship someone else, some other God, some other way. Right? That's where the problem must be. It's difficult to recognize that it could be here. It's difficult to recognize that you can worship the true God and worship Him by name and yet do it in vain because it's just lip service and your trust is actually in something else. Something man-made. They worship in vain because even though their words sound right, their hearts aren't right. That's the measure. We worship Him in vain when our hearts are unclean. The determining factor isn't what we say. That's the clean hands mindset. The determining factor is what we do what proceeds from the heart. I have to admit, I'm not one of those people who has contempt for tradition. I'm not one of those people who assumes however we do it now is the best way it's ever been done, and the problem with people in the past is they were morons who didn't understand the things we do. If anything, I think a good remedy for a lot of our problems would be to reconnect with the wisdom of the past. And look at the way that people before us lived and the things that they valued and learned from their example. And so when I see Jesus sweeping aside the traditions of men, I have to ask myself, how can he do this? How can he just set these things aside? How can he say with such certainty that eating unclean things isn't what makes you unclean, but rather doing unclean things? He can say that because he speaks with an authority different from the authority of the scribes and the Pharisees. He speaks with divine authority. The only person who could set aside the dietary laws of the Old Testament is the God who put them in place to begin with. If Jesus were not who Jesus was, then nothing he's saying here would make any sense to us. But because he is who he is, It does, and we must follow. Just as Jesus is the king that you would choose over any earthly king, assuming you saw things for what they are, then, assuming you see things for what they are, Jesus is the priest who you would choose over any earthly priest as well. True worship is to heed the word of God and not the commandments of men. True worship is to honor Him with your heart. 
and not just your lips. So let us honor Him with our hearts. Let us cry out to Him for clean hearts. And let's not worry about our hands. Thank you for listening. You can find more sermons from Grace and information about joining us for worship by visiting our website at graceforsufalls.org. We also invite you to visit the iTunes store and subscribe to the Sermons of Grace podcast.